What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And I remember this sense of responsibility coming on, like, oh, I got to go figure this out. Right. And it was the first time, like, getting a sense of entrepreneurship. We're like, there's no blueprint for success all the time. You got to, like, figure it out. You got to hustle. Facts. You got to figure it out. You got to try things. You got to fail. Like, Facts. You got to fail. I hope you can figure out how to fail fast. Fail forward, yep. Yeah. I think it's important to your shareholders, your investors, et cetera, but also to your community, in our case, to show them that, you know, you don't have to necessarily be three, four, two, three, four generations of a family business to be successful. Um, you can do this. Turn my mic up. For you. Take there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. All right, Hustle fam, we are back with another amazing episode. And today... I'm with my man, Jason Burns Sr. You don't look too much like a senior, but but we'll take it. Uh, El Presidente of the CDLA. CLDA. Uh, man, I'm already messing up. The CLDA, which is the Customized Logistics Delivery Association. You got it. Customized Logistics and Del- Delivery Association. Customized Logistics and Delivery Association, which basically is everything final mile, last mile, all that stuff that you guys love to hear about and learn about, this man right here, he has all the sauce. <laughs> Jason, welcome to Truck and Hustle, man. Appreciate it being here, man. No doubt. So we got to talk about how you became the president of the CDLA, first of all, because that's, that's pretty big, right? But um, prior to that, you have some entrepreneurial experience as well. You, you yep. ran your own business, Drop Off, right? You've also done some other things, play ball. You, you got pretty, you lived a couple of lives here, man. So customarily on Truck and Hustle, we like to get into your backstory, kind of understand like how you got to where you're at. Yep. Um, and then we'll talk about some business, man. That, that okay with you? Let's do it. All right, cool. So let's get into the backstory a little bit. Tell us where you're from a little bit about yourself. Uh, hometown is New Orleans, Louisiana. So I'm proud, New Orleanian. Uh, grew up in the city. Um, was living there, you know, up until I moved here to Austin uh, about a year or so ago. So I'm a, a New Orleans boy through and through. That's home. Okay. Okay. How was it growing up in New Orleans, man? Tell me about that. It, I mean, I loved it. You know, um, you know, New Orleans is a town where it's it's uh, people know it for its culture, the uniqueness of its culture, the music, the food, um, and the people, right? I think there's no better people uh, on this earth than, than a New Orleanian. You know, they're very hospitable. Um, everybody is, every, every, there's, 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 there's no real um strangers in new orleans right everyone's mm. everyone's fam to a certain extent mm. um and it's like zero degrees of separation too so it's kind of a <laughs> gift and a curse right so everybody kind of know everybody um which uh you know which is helpful um because you can network and navigate the city um pretty well but also uh i think it helps us build that special gumbo because we all kind of ingrained in the same culture we live kind of uh in a in a place where um you know the music and the foods and the spirits and the uh, and the the, the partying really yeah. kind of brings that 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 melting pot together and it's a cool time. Yeah, the, the gumbo, I, I I like that. So, how old were you when uh, Hurricane Katrina hit? 
I was actually uh, in my senior year of college. Okay, was, uh, were you in town during that, or you no, you were so away? I was, uh, so I went to undergrad at Vanderbilt in Nashville. So okay, um, I uh, I remember that vividly. Man, I was actually playing ball at the time, and, and uh, when Katrina hit the week before the first game of my senior senior football season. How, how did that impact you, man? I know it had to be crazy. It was tough. Um, you know, you lost you lost all connection with with your family, right? I mean. You know, we had lived through so many hurricanes growing up in New Orleans that, you know, like most people tell you, you, you pack a bag for a weekend, you think maybe <laughs> going to Houston, you know, most likely somewhere for a couple of days and you come right back home. Right. And so that was the thought process, like, all right, they'll get out of town. And I can remember leading up to it that uh, I think it was a couple of days before the storm hit. I remember watching uh, on CNN. I was in, in Nashville, I was watching CNN and they were filming someone, uh, a guy on a bike driving down Decatur Street. And... Uh, he was like, clue, he didn't have an idea like how big the storm was. And they showed, they panned out, showed like this Hurricane 5 category storm coming down. Yeah. You know, to New Orleans. And I like, that was the first time I was like, oh, it's, this is real. This is real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so. now, now, did you have like, were your parents still back there or any like of your immediate family still in the town? Yeah. So, so my parents, uh, I have an older brother. Um, but my parents, my brother were there. Um, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, everybody was there. Yeah. You know, everybody's in New Orleans. So they, uh, they forced to evacuate it to Houston. Okay. Um, but we lost all cell service. Our cell service was just shot. Even even my cell phone in Center Nashville, we had uh, intermittent service. So um, so for like a day or so, we kind of lost touch. I mean, I knew they were out of New Orleans, but they got stuck on the road. They were driving. So you didn't know how far out they got. Right. Um, and then um, I finally got word you know, that they made it to Houston. Got you. And, uh, and then we, you know, the way Katrina happened, like the storm hit, and it was really the day after when the levers breached. Yeah. So... Everybody kind of rest went to, went to rest easy that night before, thinking, okay, we dodged another bullet. Right. And then uh, you woke the next morning and saw it was crazy. Water. I know. Yeah. I know. It had to be a relief when you found out your family was okay and everything huge, like that, right? Huge relief, yeah. So you said you were at Vanderbilt at the time, right? Yeah. So you were playing ball in college, playing what, football. Playing, playing football. Okay. Playing football. Aside from an athlete, were you were you in education at all? Were you more so like a student <laughs> athlete? What was your What was your thing? I, I was definitely a student athlete. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you were smart too, not just not just a ball player. Yeah. I more was, than an athlete, as LeBron would say. More than an athlete, try to be that. <laughs> yeah. So. I was actually a walk-on guy, so I walked on at Vandy, actually. Okay. So I walked on. Uh, I was an invited walk-on um, and, and kind of earned my, earned my stripes, earned my keep. I was playing, you know, playing 15, 20 snaps a game between offense and special teams, uh, playing a lot more than some guys that was on scholarship. So a lot of people didn't even know I was a walk-on guy. Got you, because um, you was that nice. All right, guys, Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now, let's get back to the show. I don't know that, but <laughs> I was a guy that worked hard, man. I, you know, I just, I just, you know, I worked hard and kind of worked my way into, you know, I went from quarterback to receiver. So I worked my way from the eight and nine guy on a depth chart when I moved to receive my second year there, like the fourth or fifth guy in certain rotation. So, so at that time was like the NFL your dream? Nah, man, actually, I, I, you know, I think um, probably my first year at Vandy, I realized that I stopped hoop dreaming. Right? I was like, so it was. I think at one point it I was. I mean, obviously, yeah, you would walk yeah. on, you working yeah. hard and all that, but. Yeah, I mean, I think every kid grows up with that dream of, of turning pro, right? In yeah, the, yeah. In the sport. Um, but I think I realized early on, and a lot of that attributes to my upbringing, with, I'm sure we'll get into that with, with my, my family's background in entrepreneurship, but like, I think one of the things that helped me in my career was that early on, I realized that that's probably not my ticket 
And so I need to focus and invest in, you know, in school and education. My education is, is, is where it needs to be. Um, at the same time, you know, ball was, was life. So that's like my passion from. So yeah. I definitely dedicated a lot to it. Um, but I always saw the bigger picture. I saw long term that I need to have myself prepared when I leave here in two, three years. Um, to, to, to earn a living in the workforce. Got you. So let's kind of, let's kind of talk about that. So, um, how, t- tell me about your family, entrepreneurship. You come from that kind of background. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I come from a, uh, a very entrepreneurial family. It actually starts with, um, she really, my, my mom's mom was on the, uh, who, who actually, um, didn't finish high school until later on in life. Uh, went back, got a GED, got a, got an undergrad, um, you know, in, in the sixties, but she owned a couple of daycares back home in New Orleans. Okay. And so that was kind of the first entrepreneur, I would say, you know, in the family, in the family she started it. Yep. And then my father's, you know, my father's this is who's my hero, my idol. He's, he's a serial entrepreneur at this point. Um, but his first venture was he and my mother bought the daycare for my grandmother. Okay. Um, he had a whole bunch of other stuff going at the time, but, but, uh, but that was kind of the start. So my dad, my dad's done everything. You let him tell it from, Selling Coke bottle caps to, you know, uh, cutting grass to doing everything in the neighborhood to right. ultimately, you know, starting several ventures um, in, in both uh, parking industry, transportation industry. Oh, wow. Um, he's been involved in the uh, entertainment industry and the movie industry. Um, he's done a lot of different things in different spaces. Uh, okay. And so real estate. And so he so he really, I guess, took it to another level. And my mom, you know, was right there with him the whole time. She was um, helped start the, the courier business at the time back in 84. Okay. Um, what was the name of the courier business? It was called Quick Courier Services. Quick so, Courier Services. And, and what did uh, what did do, what did they do at that time? Um, so my dad. So the way he got it's a funny story. I could tell you. So he was um, he was working at a bank. So he's working at um, uh, Liberty Bank and Trust. Shout out! It's the largest black owned bank in America right now. Uh, Liberty Bank and Trust. Yep. Billion shout, dollars. Shout shout to them. That's based dope. Orleans. Yep. yep. Go go bank with them. Yep. yep. Shout out to my boy Ty McDonald. He just became the, the president of the bank from his father. Mr. Okay. Ty McDonald. All right. So, uh, but my dad uh, um, worked his way up in the bank. Um, bank was very small back then. Worked with to vice president level. Um, worked with a lot of small business in the area and. Um, kind of had the, the, the entrepreneurship was bite was always kind of in him. He always kind of wanted to, to do his own thing and started a payroll company, uh, called Payroll Plus, uh, where he was basically servicing the payroll needs of his, of his bank clients. Um, so he left the bank to do that, but he kept a, a personal services contract with the bank. He was managing the drivers that went pick up the money from the branches, uh, maybe four or five branches at that time, pick up oh. the money, mail, et cetera, bring it back to the central office to process it. So he's doing his payroll business and still kind of helping manage these guys that he had ran at the vision when he was at the bank. Okay. Um, long story short, you know, a few years into the payroll business, he realized that uh, he probably wasn't that good at doing payroll and being, <laughs> being accurate with it. Right. Um, lot of, lot of, oh, was, man. He's messing insurance. up the payroll, man. Messing yeah. up the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he, he needed to get some better errors and emissions insurance. There, there we go. But uh, he ended up um, selling the payroll business and... Um, one night he was in in the grocery store, um, getting some 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 for me and my brother at the time, and bumps into uh, a high school friend of his he hadn't seen in years who was working for uh, Radio Shack at the time. Okay. And back then Radio Shack would actually have couriers. Uh, if you were going to Radio Shack just before you know technology, just, just you know early mid mid eighties maybe, um, you could go into Radio Shack on the east side of town. And if they didn't have the part you're looking for, they would call the, the store on the west side of town and they have a courier bring it over there, like almost real time. Got it. Yep. Okay. And so uh, his buddy was working for Radio Shack. And he, they, in, the, in, the, in the grocery line, checking out, it was one of those conversations like, you know, what are you up to nowadays? And my dad told him, I'm just starting this courier business. Because um, he had, the, the, 
the one thing he had was relationships with in the, in the financial world. A lot of those banks still needed couriers. So he kind of started doing some things in the courier space, but it was kind of more payroll deliveries. Okay. And so Radio Shack, um, yeah, the guy said, look, we, 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 we pay couriers every month to bring stuff back and forth. You know, um, you know, would you like to take an interest in, in looking at it? So he told me he went through this whole process, took like 60 days to, to go to the contracting page, to I had to go get an open account with the Bank of Boston. All these hoops, he said, for the first month, he billed them uh, like 50 bucks. It was nothing. <laughs> for the first month? For the first month. Right, 50 right, right, bucks. right. And uh, he just kept working it at the height of Radio Shack. It was billing $500,000 a month. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And now it was called Quick Courier Service? Quick Courier Services. Um, we changed the name. We rebranded it. So another story to, to QCS Logistics. Okay. Uh, when I came in, when I when I got involved. In, in what happened with what happened? Why you have to rebrand? What happened? Um, the short version is we had just lost a major RFP um, to okay. the hospital system back in New Orleans. Okay. And I f- and and the company that they selected at the time to win it ultimately they never did never did go to contract with them. Um, they had the word logistics in the name. I remember the 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 managers of over the the RFP in the debrief that kept like hinting at logistics they could do more than just courier work mm. right and so that stuck in my mind i was like you know and, and actually in reality we were doing more than just courier work uh, and i felt the word courier kind of pigeonholing us like we can only do one thing got you and so i went through this whole rebranding campaign and did all my research and okay so so at this point you're involved in in, in the business when yeah. that happened so this business has been around from 87 you said 84 84 80, all the way up until after you graduate from college yeah, so this is probably 2000, and this is, um, I went back home 2000, in 2008 to join a business. Okay. Uh, as like a special project manager, and then I worked my way up to presidency over, over a few years. But that was, this is probably 2009 or so. Got it. All right, so let's not get, let's, let's kind of go back a little. We don't want to yeah. go all the way there yet. All right, cool. So college, you, you, you're an athlete, but you realize like your family's a bunch of entrepreneurs. You realize that there's more to it than just playing ball. That's cool. But you want to be an entrepreneur, right? Or right, you want to get involved in business somehow yep. after college. What do you do? Uh, after college. So, because I said earlier, I was actually during college, I realized that, you know, playing ball wasn't my ticket. I started to uh, create relationships and intern. So I was interning with this company, uh, called Central Parking Systems at the time. They've now uh, sold it under a new, new, new name. Okay. Um, my father, side note, also did business in the parking industry, so there was a relationship there. Okay. When I interned with them in college. Um, they put me into this executive and training program in Philadelphia. So I got to Philadelphia. Okay. So I was in Philly for about two years in a- uh, And they're called Central Parking System? It was called Central Parking System. And, and, it was the world's largest parking operator at the time. Had okay. Over, over 3 million parking spaces around the world. Parking garages and garages, so forth and so on. Uh, stadiums, uh, municipalities, um, um, you know, any, anybody in the- uh, 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 Garages at uh, tourism sites or um, um, where you go to Carnival Cruise Lines. Okay. Anything. So this is one company that manages a whole bunch of parking operations. Portfolio parking operations. Which a lot of people probably don't realize that like that one person owns all these parking garages, right? Like or a good number of them, right? Yeah. Or, or, or mostly managed. So yeah. Managed. They manage on behalf of owners. So sometimes gotcha. they have a, sometimes actually it's less owned by the company, mostly leased or managed. Got you. Yeah. Okay. So... Your father has uh, the business, yep. but why do you decide to intern with the parking company? Um, so he, he felt that um, it would be better for me to go learn business from a big company first before I would go back home. So I was, um, I always felt- But at I that would, point, he was a big company, right? I mean, big enough. Uh, it was big enough. It was big enough. But, but also, I think it was important. You know, he, he, 
it was, it was big enough, but I think he knew that I could learn more and probably bring more back to the company. Got you. I don't get that experience. Got you. Truthfully, I wasn't thinking about going back home for another 10 years or so. I was like, man, I'll go back home at some point. I want my kids to go to my high school um, <laughs> that I went to um, back home. But um, so when I when I got to, you know, leaving Vanderbilt, it was, uh, and I was, I was interning too, so they put it off on the table. Yeah. Um, you know, I had like four or five seats I could go to um, and they picked Philly. And I was also, um, you know, very, very aware of the fact that I wanted to uh, gain more knowledge, like like real world knowledge. I didn't want to go get my MBA. I wanted to actually work in a company, in a business, learn, you know, people, learn operations, learn human resources, you know, um, finance. Like I want to get immersed in it and live it. And then I would think about going back in my, going to B school, going back and work in my dad's business, but I want to get involved in business. So that was kind of my my thought process there, um, and it, you know, I ended up in Philadelphia. What was it? A paid internship, or was it like? Uh, yeah, I was paid. So the uh, I interned for three years. The last year was paid. So I worked in different departments uh, while I was in Nashville. Okay, <clears throat> and, and ultimately, and what exactly did you do? What was your job during that time? Uh, first summer, I researched all the technology in the parking industry. So when you pull into a garage and you, you hit the button and you put your card in, this is again, this is you know, two thousand and. I don't know, three, four. When it's new. This new, technology right, is new, right? right? Okay. Parking was all cash. Right? Okay. Like most everything at the time. It was yep. all cash. And that was a big issue um, in the parking industry was, was you know, you had, you had a, lot of, uh, a lot of theft. And so the guy that was over technology wanted me to go and research every single piece of uh, technology that was out in the marketplace. That's what I did the first summer. And the second summer, I, uh, I worked in the legal office. And so I read every contract that they had in the, in the country. And I had to like, pull out all these key points of the contract terms, uh, dates. Um, did they, you know, are we self-insured in this contract? Are we getting insurance on this contract? Just learning like the intricacies of the business from a legal standpoint. Right. Um, that was my second year there. And then um, I think my third year, um, I started look, doing a little bit more business development. I was actually, I had opportunity at the time I was, you know, uh, again, because my father was, was at a partnership with this company. Um, I mean, I was on a, a private jet at... <laughs> 20 years old go yeah. and meet with the owner of the Denver Broncos with the parking president because they were bidding on some some the parking at, at the Denver Broncos stadium got it so I had these crazy experiences early on that that also like um excited me like yeah, I, I, for I, sure I, 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 and and, and you had like a diverse uh set of knowledge like you were doing a little bit of everything yeah, yeah. so so out of all those years what do you think was like when like looking back now in hindsight like what was your biggest takeaway from what you learned during that time um, it takes a lot of hard work to be successful. Mm. I can remember that 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 plane ride. Right, we got to meet at the meet the president early in the morning, five a.m. And I remember being on the plane. I guess I'm thinking I'm on a jet. I'm thinking I'm about to have a good time. Right, it's a baby party. Right, <laughs> right. That's I, you know, get that the twenty years old. That's all you ever see is you know <laughs> people on the jet they having a good time. Right. I mean, this guy was a machine. This guy was like on the plane at a certain time. He was already going through financials. Like he had a whole his whole day was planned off about a minute. And I remember watching them. Was like, damn, like, like, right. he, like these these guys work hard. Like, this yeah. is not, no one's giving these guys anything. Yeah. And so, I've never been a stranger to hard work. It's kind of been my, my calling card. I think so. It, it kind of excited me. It's like, say, I, I know I can do that. Like, I, if I get enough opportunities and, and access information, I know I can bring hard work to the table. Yeah, hundred percent. I love that. All right, cool. So you do this internship. What happens after that? Um. So I get the job in Philly. Yeah. Um, I'm in Philly first day on the job uh, uh, the boss at the time the general manager of that market was a good friend of mine today he said I heard you play ball in college I'm like yeah uh, he said I play football Vandy he said uh, like the Eagles 
I was like, man, yeah, pretty good, you know. He said, meet me at down at the Eagle Stadium tomorrow afternoon for three o'clock. I was like, it was this was this is this is May, end of May, May, June. So football season not even in, you know. Right. Like, what was the guy doing? And at the you know, Philly and Philly, you know, it's a sports complex, right? So you got the Eagle Stadium, you got the Philly Stadium, you got the Wachovia Center, Wachovia Spectrum, all right there next to each other. Correct. I don't know at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I go down for Eagle Stadium, go go down next day at three o'clock, and there's a, a game going on. So Phillies have a baseball game going on, and there's parking happening. So he's like, meet me at the K lot. And so, um, pull up at the K lot, and I see him. I get out the car, walk over there. And it's, it's operations. This is this is you know, real time parking operation happening. They bring the cars in, collect the money, and uh, pulls me to the side. He say, hey. Um, I just let go of the manager here. Um, you're gonna be the new manager on this account. Um, this is the Eagles. This is the Eagles Stadium called the K Lot. Here's the Philly Stadium, Wachovia Center, Wachovia Spectrum. He said, "These are your 20 employees." Um, he said, "Any questions?" <laughs> <laughs> Could you not, bro? He said, "Any questions?" And uh, I was, I, I thought I was on candid camera, so I'm like, I'm waiting for the joke. You waiting for Ashton Kutcher or something to jump out, out, right? Dude, got in his car and drove off. <laughs> and and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting like, <laughs> and so I went to the assistant manager and uh, he kind of started showing me the ropes a little bit. And I was just trying, you know, trying to learn. I, I had run some parking stuff in my, in my internships in Nashville. So I had right. a general idea, like what should happen. Right. Um, but man, that, like that, that experience. So um, that was my first real experience managing people. Um, There's a lot of theft going on in the operation. Right. All the people working there were college buddies. And they were they were on the take. They was doing their thing on the take. So I had to I had to you know investigate shut that, that shut that down, right? Create more problems. Um, but I learned a whole lot about um, managing under pressure, managing the fire at a young age, and um, I learned a lot about what I don't want to do and how maybe not to do some things in business, and, okay? And, man, and, and management and training, etc. Could you expound on that? Because that's an interesting concept. Yeah. yeah, I think some 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 philosophies um, some come at philosophy that you know sink or swim. Like you throw 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 someone in the water and see if they can if they can survive, right? And then we'll invest. Um, and that there's there's probably a time and a place for that strategy. I'm not gonna say that's, that's never ever good to use, but I think it's been proven over time. You know, you invest more in your people in the training processes, education, um, long term. That's the best way. Mm. And, and this company did. I'm not saying this company didn't do that. They did. They do. They, it was a a whole program I was in. I right. think this I think that was a way of seeing how I was gonna what, what you were made of. What I was made of. So just just to clarify, because I'm thinking like they just threw you in that situation. You didn't you didn't know what you were being hired for? Now you know where the office was at. I didn't I didn't know I had to get to the office. They just like you're hired. Well, I, I was in this I went in because you were an intern and yeah, like, I, I was in an executive training program. Okay. So it was like a it was like a planned out program over like 18 months. You're gonna get exposed to every aspect of parking business. Got you. Ultimately to get you become a general manager at the end of 18 months and you would relocate to another city and run your own market. Got it. So that was the program. I was the youngest person ever selected into the program. The oh team. wow. Yeah. And then the final the final level of that program was a storm in the fire. <laughs> Which makes sense. I get it. All yeah, right, cool. Yeah, yeah. So you how long do you do that? The the parking lots in Philly? Um, I did about about two years. I was in Philly about two years. Okay. Um I ended up uh going from managing the, the, the Eagle Stadium to going working to the downtown office and did a lot of business development, learn the sales side of parking, like how you can go into a garage and really in about you know, a week or so time, I can figure out how much money a garage is doing um, by, 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 you know, doing a system called ticket pools. Okay. A little harder to do today with technology. Um, and then my last stint was uh, I opened up a off-airport um, shuttle bus operation. So okay. So we, we opened up an airport uh, shuttle bus service uh, in Philadelphia. 
uh, called Central Air Park. And so I was really over the marketing, um, <clears throat> marketing sales size of the operation and the customer service piece of that. Okay. And there's another guy running like the actual operation. Oh, you said who, who, who opened that up? Uh, Central Parking. Okay. Central yeah. Parking. Yeah. So that was like they a new, put, a new, yeah. okay. Yeah. A new, uh, okay. Got it. All right. So you do that, you run that to keep on going. What happens next in the story? So, um, I wanted to, um, now quickly realize corporate America, um, they, 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 they want you to do two jobs for the price of one. Right. <laughs> right. That's just the way it is. Okay. American. So, and growing, you know, growing up, I saw my dad and my mom be entrepreneurs all my life. So, um, as I kind of got hip to the game of corporate America, which didn't take that long to figure it out, I was like, I don't think it's for me. Right. And so my most immediate thing I thought about was I want to get back in ball. I want to, I want to coach. Okay. And so I come from a history of coaches too. So my grandfather was a coach. My uncle was a, a coach at Alabama and, and the Giants. So got it. I want to get into coaching. Um, and how old are you right now at this point? I'm 30. Oh, at that time? At that point, yeah. Uh, gosh, I'm 22. 22. 22. Super young, like fresh, fresh out the womb. Go ahead. Keep on going. I'm listening. Yeah. Um, so I, um, um, I wanted to get back into coaching and I, uh, interviewed at University of Penn, uh, UPenn in Philly. Um, they had a, they had a job online for like a, a, a system director football operations. Okay. And I was still like, I, I, I didn't know if I want to go coach or like being a sports admin side. So I'm like, this might be cool for me to get into combined business and sports. Something I got a passion for. And, uh, Long and short, interview for the job. Uh, guy calls back and said, "I want. I had somebody else in mind, but I think you're more qualified. I want to offer you the job. I pay you seven twenty-five an hour." I'm like, "What? <laughs> seven twenty-five an hour? Seven twenty-five an hour? I couldn't even. I can't even put my rent on that." And so uh, I really want the job. That's you know when you're in the sports world, that's how sports is. That's how it is. Like because those jobs are such high demand at the low range, they can pretty much. You know, give uh, you anything. Give you anything. It's like you so had. They, they give you an opportunity. Give the opportunity. That's really yeah, what you get. That's and what then, you if get. You network. You figure your way out. You can. You can right. jump pretty quickly. Right. Um, and so I told the guys like, man, I can't. I can't even like. I, I, I won't even pay my rent. And so uh, <laughs> he said, let me, let me go back. I, let me go back. Talk to my boss. So I'll get you more money. So he calls back two days later. Like, I got. I think he said eight seventy five an hour. <laughs> I got something for you. <laughs> this this one. I'm gonna knock this. I got you a dollar. I got you. <laughs> right. Right. And he was like, and when we on the road, um, you know, you can't officially be a part of the team. So, um, like, you won't get a per diem for food, but I'll, like, I'll pass you some sandwiches and stuff. So, when we're in a bus for road games, I'll yeah. take care of you. Yeah. I'm like, man, that, that ain't. That <laughs> Sound ain't, crazy. That ain't, that ain't you it, crack, crackhead money. Yeah, like, yeah. So, you a sandwich here and there, you know. Okay. So, uh, so that, around, around the same time I was going through that, um, um, my dad approached me. He was like, hey, um, I really need. Some help and 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 getting the courier business kind of back to where it was pre Katrina, so the company suffered you know a uh, big loss in Hurricane Katrina. Right, two thousand five. This is two thousand, you know, eight end of two thousand eight. Company's just coming back online, so trying to get back on track. And he was like, um, "Would you ever think about coming back home and running, you know, like running, getting involved in the in the courier business?" And I really hadn't thought about it, you know, at that time. I thought about it, but thought like maybe ten years from now I might do that. Right, later down the line. Right. And so uh, he said, well, look, I want you to go visit another company in Philadelphia, later have a relationship with, um, and go see the operation. Go learn from them. See what you can pick up on. You know, if you like it, you know, let me know what you think. Uh, and call me back in about a week. And so I did. They connected this lady, uh, went visit this company in Philly. Um, and I walked in. And I, in my, my experience at the time, with courier businesses were all, there was no warehousing. There was no, no cross-dock, no infrastructure at all. It was just... You had a dis, you had a, maybe an office, a dispatch, a customer service person, and drivers on the road, 
you know, we had, we had two-way pages. You had the Motorola radios. Right, we right. Had the antennas. Right. I mean, we had it all. I mean, I can show you pictures of me <laughs> as a child on a dispatch board. It was a carpeted wall. And okay. we literally index cards would like tell the stats of a job, like from called in to, you know, dispatched to picked up. To, <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we just slid across the board. So like um that was kind of how I grew how up you ran the business. business, right. And I walk in, this lady had an eighty thousand square foot warehouse. Shit was everywhere. Like I was like flushing it like she had she had like baby formula, I remember one corner. And she had like uh, furniture items. She had like TVs and appliances. Like it was everything. And I saw her trucks backing up and like taking us up out, making all these deliveries. I saw all these people and then forklifts moving around. I was like, this is a curry business? Yeah. I'm like, what? And like it just, my mind just opened up wide. And so um, um, it kind of gave me goosebumps. I was <laughs> like, man, I know. I was like, if we can do half of this back home, right. I'm like, we can kill it. Yeah. Uh, and we weren't doing anything like that back in New Orleans, you know, New Orleans at the time. Uh, and were y'all still in the same niche when, with the business at this point? Like the- yeah, yeah. So we were we were the same. We were mostly doing uh, quick curve at the time. Was mostly doing financial um, services for banks. Yeah, uh, some some medical work, um, and then some payroll work. Delivering still doing. It's like payrolls. paperwork, right? Paper, paper, couriers. All papers. Yeah, yep. paper, bikers. Yep. Guys on on, on scooters downtown. Um, nothing, nothing in the, in the realm of logistics or freight or right. like parcels. Right. Like that. You know, all paper. Gotcha. And so. Um, I came back home and kind of shared this vision with my dad. I said, I think we can do X, Y, and Z. And, um, you know, a month later, he was, uh, he offered me a job as a, as a special project manager, kind of matched my salary I had in Philly. And, uh, I was back home. I was, I was off and running back home. And, and I think, um, this is, this was right when New Orleans started to rebuild. Okay. So I've seen a lot of people come back home that left. <clears throat> a lot of people that weren't from New Orleans moving into the ones to help rebuild the city. Yeah. And I want to be a part of that. And that was my hometown, my city. Um, I felt like that was something that, that I wanted to be. I, I didn't want to be on the sidelines of that one. No doubt. And so I wanted to get back home for that. So where do you kind of help get things to? After you, you join your special project manager, tell me about how you kind of grow the, the business and kind of the, the the trajectory of what you guys are doing. Because you, now you see like new opportunities, right? Yeah. You're like, this. we could do this. We could do that. So how do you yeah. start implementing that into what you guys already have? Um. I wish I could tell you it was easy and like I just came there and like it just started happening. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it was a lot more difficult for a couple of reasons. One, me and my dad are cut from the same cloth. Like we both type A. So like it's, it's <laughs> yeah, so bumping that, heads. That was <laughs> I knew it was gonna happen, <laughs> but it happened. But it happened. Um in in a in a positive way too. Yeah. I'll yeah. explain it later. But um and then um I I started questioning everything. Like it was kind of like, there's this, this a story about the, the meatloaf syndrome. You know what that meatloaf syndrome is? Nah, means? I never heard of that. So the story goes, it was a, uh, a mom and her daughter in the kitchen uh, making meatloaf one night. And um, right before the mom went to put the meatloaf in the pan, she cut the sides of the meatloaf off and put it in the pan, puts it in the oven. Daughter says, mom, why'd you, put, why'd you cut the sides off of the, of the meatloaf? She said, I, I, don't, I don't know. Let's call grandma, ask grandma. So they called grandma. Grandma, why'd you cut the sides of the meatloaf off? She's like, uh, I don't know. Let's call great grandma. Great grandma's still alive. Get on the phone. Great grandmother. Great grandma says, I don't know why y'all doing it, but I had, my, my oven was so small and the pan was so small, it couldn't fit. So I cut, I cut the sides <laughs> off to make it fit. Right, right, But right. no one had questioned right. why over all these years. Over 100%. Generations, right? Yeah. So you do a meatloaf syndrome. I like that. So so I was I was kind of just attacking that, you know. And, and I think my dad... Um, you know, my, my dad and I come from the same club, so we trust each other. But we are, we 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 may have the same end goal. But we both go two different ways to get got there. Got you, right? got you. 
And so, so that was a challenge, just navigating that. How, how can you um, try to put your imprint on it? First, I had to understand the business, right? right. So, so the first thing I did was uh, I rode with, I should shadow my dad for a week to see kind of what he does. I, I rode with a driver for, for a week, just understanding like the life of a courier. And I sat in dispatch, a customer service, and I just went through every aspect of the business, taking notes and figuring out what the hell's really going on. Yeah. Uh, and once I had a sense of that, and then because I had that vision from from what I saw in Philly, I was like, okay, I want to go here. I see we're here, but I want to go here. Mm. So I'm questioning how come we haven't thought about all these things. Right. And I remember probably six months in, um, this company was, at that point, the company was 25 or so years old, roughly. Um, and I'm thinking I'm coming to a company that has like everything figured out, right? And I remember getting into meetings and, and being like, no one's had to answer to this question. I'm asking questions. There's no answer to it. Right. And I realized that, oh, this is why, this is why he brought me here. Right. You know, um, um, at the time, my dad was really more focused on the parking industry, um, not as day to day in the career business. We had a, we have a, 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 a who's become a, a mentor and a friend of mine. We had a great partner in the business who was a UPS, bat, uh, former UPSer, uh, named Warmuth Gilliam. And my mother was involved in the business too. Okay. So, um, but I remember being in the meeting and looking at them like, they don't have the answers. They ain't got the answers, Sway. They got the answers, right? Sway. Yeah. And and I remember the sense of responsibility coming up, like, oh, I gotta go figure this out. Right. And it was the first time like getting a sense of entrepreneurship where like there's no blueprint to success all the time. Like you gotta go throw some shit against the wall. Can right. we curse on this thing? Can we curse on this thing? You can curse, right. man. Do your right. thing. Um my mom's probably watching some <laughs> Um but throw some stuff against the wall and you got to like figure it out. You got to hustle. Facts. You got to figure it out. You got to try things. You got to fail. Right? Facts. You got to fail. Hopefully you can figure out how to fail fast. Fail forward. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And historically, you know, especially in transportation, it's always been an antiquated. Like we're, we're like the last to always kind of catch up to technology. You know, even to this day, transportation is still antiquated. We're, we're still dinosaurs. Right. So yeah. changing, it's, but it's, yeah, we're getting there, but it's yeah. always been like that because it's such an old dated industry. 100%. You know? All right, cool. So I love that. So you said you had to ask some questions. So I, I asked you this. What was the, the 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 number one question you had to ask? And what was the biggest change that kind of came out of that question when you started digging in and diving into figuring out how you guys could, you know, get better? Um, why have we not gone up the largest hospital system in the state of Louisiana? Why have we not looked at uh, expanding into the Baton Rouge and Lafayette markets? Why... Why is our color scheme outdated? <laughs> it looks like, you know, some beat up UPS, you know, uniforms. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and then, and then um, I think why, um, why has the company been stagnant? It had been stagnant. It, it, at that time, it was, it was, you know, barring Katrina, the company was probably hovering around a, a million bucks or so. Okay. A year. Okay. Um, at that time. And so why haven't we grown, you know, over the last, you know, Five, 10 years and you're looking at this as like low-hanging fruit like this is the obvious stuff like it's the obvious stuff this stuff i'm just i'm just picking yeah just popping off because yeah, yeah. even when you say it i'm like yeah, yeah. that makes sense yeah. that makes sense yeah. like yeah. okay Technology. Why, why we we man day one i'm i'm literally only got my nice little office set up computer set up sit down got my mouse and put the dispatch screen in front of me i had seen the dispatch screen because i you know i grew up in the business i had some concept of what's going on right and i'm clicking on my mouse on the screen and nothing's happening check the mouse <laughs> <laughs> Boom, put it back in. Yeah. Still not happening. Yeah. I seen a dispatcher walks past who's been with us since day one. Still, still with the company to this day. Okay. Um, he said, What are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get this man. I said, his mouse is not working. Something's wrong with the thing. He said, Oh no, no, no. That 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 technology platform, 
I'm not gonna call the name of it out. Right. But uh, it it's a it's a DOS based system. Like it's not it's not Windows based. Right. It doesn't interact with. You got to use the function keys. Oh wow. I said function keys. I never, <laughs> I've never used function keys a day in my life. <laughs> right. Right. I'm right. Restart a computer or something. Maybe. Right. And so uh, we had to change our whole. We over the first thing I did was my first project, a special project, man, was to overhaul our technology platform. Got it. So that was that was that was one thing we did as well. Got it. Okay. And and then my final question on that would be how did everybody working there receive you as the son coming into the business looking at you like what does he know tell me about that or was um, it like that for you i think early on for the mo- early on i think there was a little bit of that later on when when i started ascending to a, a higher leadership position but early on i think uh everybody was you know really welcoming me and people i, I grew up in this business so people knew it's a, it's a family business got right? you uh, a couple people in there like extended family members um so they knew me, um, and I think they knew, knew, knew that I was serious, right? So, so I've always been a guy that's proud of myself on, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to try to do it, be the best at it. Right. Um, it's, just, it's just the way I was raised, the way I was kind of instilled in, in my high school, um, you know, it's just, just kind of who I am in my, in my DNA. So, like, I think they knew that coming in. I wasn't be a guy that was going to um, rest on the laws of my parents, right? I'm just walking gotcha. in some job, and I'm going to just, you know, cakewalk through here, like, it would be the total opposite. I'm about to disrupt this thing. <laughs> yeah. You know. You're about I, to take them to another level. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I told my parents that, like, I'm not coming here to maintain status quo. Right. Like, that's, that's not what this is about for me. No doubt. So, so I think it was received well. And, you know, later on, as we had to make some, some changes, and I started to ascend, I want to do things differently. I think certain people felt they lost a little power or control. Right. A little and bit so of friction. And so manage through that. Got you. Yeah. All right. So continue. You, you start, you know, making some changes. Things start getting a little bit better. Yeah. At the peak I guess in your time there, where do you guys go? Do you start to look like that business that you envisioned? Yeah, uh, we went we went full circle, man. We went so we we rebranded the company um, after we lost his hospital system contract. Um, I was able to finally convince uh, my dad to 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 go through with the, with the rebranding plan. So we became QCS Logistics, kind of changed the color scheme, changed the logo. Right. Um, I convinced them through, like I said, convinced them. I had to like, basically like push them into this, getting into the warehouse space. So we. We uh went from like a, a office with maybe two thousand square feet of space to uh, about fifty five hundred warehouse uh, space square feet warehouse space and about two thousand office space and started getting into logistics and and trying to manage you know freight and getting bigger trucks and doing some cold storage and like just all these different things we kept trying to trying to evolve into um, that took a lot it was it was it was I make it made me sound like it's easy but it was definitely a lot of lessons learned right we had a lot of failures early on uh, and credit credit my parents for um, sticking with me through through those times because there were certain some times where we lose a lot of money they could they could have pulled the plug and stuff. <laughs> for sure yeah. how, how did that impact the business's bottom line once you start adding warehousing and you said cold storage and all this all this different stuff to it yeah. did it grow the business I mean I know you say you lost money but did it yeah. eventually did it pan out yeah we uh we were fortunate we we were a, a, a four years in a row named to the Inc five thousand list as one of the top five thousand uh, fastest growing private companies in the country wow. So it, it definitely, wow. it definitely started. It definitely out. was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> worked good, out. Good idea is only good if the people behind it are willing to execute on it too. That's fact. So, so you gotta have, you gotta as a leader, you have to be able to um, sell people on a vision and how to get there. Right. And where you and 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 hold them accountable on the way. Got you. Yeah. Okay. So you get QCS to where it's kind of like a full service um warehousing so we're warehousing same to delivery fulfillment cross docking uh we expanded to baton rouge and, and lafayette um we landed that big hospital system um we were doing that work um 
And so we kind of really started branching out and and uh, expanding our service offerings, both geographically as well as just within what we offer as our clients, those are moving services. Okay. Um, so doing some LTL trucking, you know, locally in the region. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in the city. Um, so so we definitely tried a lot, but I, I, I will say at the same time, like uh, a lot of trial and error there too. Um, we failed tremendously at doing like white glove home delivery. Mm. Lost my, you know what. What, um, what, yeah, what was what was uh, the difficulty in white glove for you guys? Um, I'd say white glove, I think, really fell on two primary things. One, I underestimated the um, administrative support you needed for scheduling, right? Like, uh, so now you got to schedule the delivery, so you're constantly calling people to make sure when they're going to be home, get them answer the phone. Uh, there's now technology to automate this process, but back then there was no. There's basically I'm calling Ramel trying to figure out right. be home at this window, right, and then build a whole day off of these appointment times. Gotcha. Uh, so someone's got to do that full time. Like, I missed that. And then um, I also miss, I think uh, we would initially try it out with, with, with our employees. And so you got guys on the clock over time. And so when they miss a window, it extends another window. Window. So we plan a 10-hour day. It becomes a 16-hour day. Right. 17-hour day. You get feudal days in a row. Not only dealing with disgruntled and uh, overworked employees, but now you got an overtime issue in your hands. Right. That's um, a fact. And the biggest thing was probably the when we bid on the work, um, I don't think I priced I, I didn't I didn't price it accurately enough given the territory that we we're covering. Okay. So we were going probably almost 175, two mile, 200 miles away from from the warehouse doing deliveries. Got it. And the company at the time, uh, who's now probably the largest e-retailing in, in the country uh, at the time they were just getting started so they didn't have the vibe in this particular market so we're getting four or five deliveries going 200 miles away the mat don't work out right right and you're trying to hold you're trying to ultimately trying to hold shipments to get like everybody on one delivery day but then people complaining all of my stuff i wanted yesterday <laughs> yeah yeah and so but it's not making not making money for us so uh after about six months of that my dad was like what in the hell are you doing <laughs> <laughs> right and so uh so we ultimately we ultimately scrapped we we scrapped that program. Um, we well we we, we I said we, we were we we basically iterated on it. So we basically started just doing mattresses. Got you locally, specialty specialty stuff, stuff. Right. right claims not an issue. Okay, you, you, you scratch a floor up. Well, Miss Miss Satter doesn't just want that one uh, piece fixed. You want a whole floor done. Right. You know. So, right. so now you get the, <laughs> the whole floor so, and and the top floor and too. One claim <laughs> could ruin all the profit for a month. Yeah. And so um, it, it, was, it, was, it was a lot. And I think at the same time, we were doing all these other things too. And so we're kind of halfway pregnant with that thing. Yeah. And so I, I learned that for that line of work, you got to be all in. Got you. Yeah. Got you. All right, cool. So what happens after that in your journey? Um, you take, you take Q, QCS? QCS. QCS to that level. Tell me about what happens next. Um, how old are you at, at this time? When, when they're kind of at that peak? 25. 25. 26. Yeah. Still young. Still young. Yep. So at the same time, I'll, I'll bring in the, the CLDA. So this is how, uh, probably like a year into me being uh, at QCS, uh, my father was one of the founding members of the now called the CLDA. Back in it was founded in 1987 uh, on the name of the uh, Messenger Courier Association of Americas (MCAA), and so he was a founding member. He was the first African American board member of the association. Um, I ultimately got. Um, nominated by another guy that, that knew my parents knew I was in the business um, to, to run for the board. I was, man, I, I must have been 20, 25, 26. Um, and I also got nominated and I became the youngest board member ever elected to the, to the national board. 
like 26 years old. I had no idea how the hell I even got on the board. I, I, <laughs> I really had been in there for a year. Right, right, right. right. Um, and and my dad, but my dad always told me, my dad built um, QCS from zero to a million dollars. A lot, a lot of it was through his networking and being on boards and developing relationships in, in the New Orleans community. And so he always told me and taught me that um, there's no sense of having a seat at the table if you're going to be quiet. Right, like if, if, if like everybody don't get a chance to sit in that room, right? No sense of having the juice if you're not gonna squeeze it. There you go. And so, um, when I got on the board, it was important for me to to make a name for myself. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just again, every, you know, when you grow up, you know, my my father back home, my father's a big name, he's a big personality. So so when you grow up in that shadow, if you will, and and, and credit my dad's never really cast it on me. It's just more just the way things happen. Right. You're always looking for a way to, to to make sure people know that you've earned your place. Right. I remember in high school, I threw three touchdowns a game, and dude was saying, hey, he only he only started the court because of dad, you know. Blah, blah, right. Blah. I'm like, right. dad's on the touchdown? <laughs> um, so, um, but but that's how I got involved in the CLDA uh, as, a, as, a, as a board member um, in like 2000, maybe like 10, okay. 11. Okay. And so, so, so that, I bring it up because that started to help grow QCS as well. So I developed our relationships, you know, people, People like to see people that work hard, right? People like to do business. People that like they like, they know, they trust, and know can get things done. And so, as I was trying to make a name for myself in the in the in the industry at the national level on the board, you know, getting on different committees and you know uh, leading certain initiatives, uh, uh, people started to bring opportunities to us um, in the world. And so, a lot of times in, in, in the final mile world. Um, you have brokers that broke opportunities, but a lot of times it's your relationships. So I may know a guy that has a current business in Philadelphia uh, who has a client that has needs in New Orleans. And so he won't ever, he won't, he won't broker the work to me. Not three people won't necessarily you know, try to get a cut of it. He'll just say, hey, I know a great guy in New Orleans going to treat you well, treat your customers right, get your stuff delivered on time. And, right. And so we started getting some more of those opportunities. And I started, you know, creating a, more of a, um, I was leveraging the platform the CEO they gave me to, to kind of, you know, increase and grow my brand. And so, so QC started growing. So we started doing things, we started growing. Uh, I mentioned we were forced to be, you know, uh, recognized by Inc. for four for consecutive years. Um, and then, so the company's probably um, at its peak in, let's see, 2018 or so. I started seeing, at this point, I've you know, been in the industry, you know, call it 10 years or so, right? And I started seeing some trends that were happening that, made me start thinking about um, different things. One was um, uh, how is technology going to take shape in this industry, right? You talk about technology. Um, so I, started, I had this little startup company I started on the side that was the, uh, um, doing uh, basically a digital software marketplace, trying, okay. to, trying to play in that space. Okay. Never got the ground, not a, not a, not a failure, but you know, <laughs> right? um, still, still, still might get the ground one day. Right, right. Um, and, and then as I started seeing these trends, I saw more... Um, uh, money come into the industry. A lot of consolidation happening. M and A, you know, people buying up companies. E commerce starting to kind of take shape, and so I start seeing smaller companies getting acquired by regional companies. Regional companies acquired by national companies, and so I was looking to do. I was, and I, I think a little bit while I was burned out too at the time. I had been, you know, grinding for ten years trying to grow. You know, as a, as a young person, you know, being coming, you know, president of a company and having a lot of responsibility and pressure. Um, you know, I think that grind started wearing on me. Right. And so I think I, I think sort of was like I was tired of the grind. Facts. Um, and so I went to my parents um, and I said, well, I think we should start looking at an exit. You know, I think I think it might be time for us to look at exiting the industry. Um, and, I, and I want to make sure my parents at the time were getting closer to their, their to seventy, 
and they were not really day to day, hundred percent of the time. Uh, not that my, my dad works probably more hours than me right now, still right, to this day. Not right. that he wasn't working, right? But in that business, and so I felt like I wanted to make sure that they had opportunity to really capitalize on the thirty some years they put into this business to make sure they got a, a, a proper exit. Mm. And so that took a long time to kind of have those conversations, but ultimately, um, um, we we got to a point where they they at least gave me the grit to start fielding conversation. People were calling us all the time, you know, seeing we're interested in exiting the industry. Right. Um, and we just really want, want to entertain the conversation. So I started taking some of those calls more serious. And, um, you know, ultimately we, um, we ended up uh, um, signing a letter of intent um, with the company that I work for now on Drop Off Inc. Um, uh, in January, actually we signed it, we signed a letter, letter of intent in January of 2020. And in March of 2020, you know, uh, the whole world changed. COVID happens. Wow. Crazy. Now, quick question about that with the exit. Number one, um, when, when that happens and you start putting it out there into the, into the atmosphere that you want to exit, I'm sure there's going to be people that come and they're going to, you know, throw some, uh, figures at you, whatever the case may be. How many people were looking to buy you guys? One. And when you're exiting, uh, a last mile cup company or courier service. What are the different things? What are the KPIs that they're looking at? Tell me a little bit about that. Cause that's, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, we probably had about four or five companies that were, were, I thought were, were, were serious, you know, talking to us. Um, uh, two that kind of stood out. Um, ultimately, you know, drop was the one that we, we ended up going with. Um, what and, and and I do this work now. So what I do for Drop Off, I'm, I'm director of corporate development now. So I actually go on behalf of Drop Off and uh, identify owners who are looking to exit and acquire companies. And so we do that at a much higher clip than than you know, um, you know what I was used to at QC. I really had not got got involved in the financial aspect of that. You know, right. when I was running the company. Um, but what what companies look for when they're looking at acquiring companies are a few things. One, they're looking at one you want a company with some proven history. All right, so you're not looking for a company that's been around for a couple of years. You want to know that they've been able to manage, you know, manage through a few storms and um, uh, know that they have a, a, a strong customer base that stays with them, employees that stays with them. They want to see that proven. I think, two, and again, a lot is depending on the buyer, right? The buyer ultimately is going to figure out what factors are most important for them. But you're looking at revenue size. You're looking at uh, net revenue, right? So you want a, a, a EBITDA, really. So you're looking at you want a EBITDA at a certain level. In our case, we're looking for uh, 10% um, uh, on your trading 12 months of EBITDA. Um, we're looking for a certain customer segmentation uh, in a certain vertical. Drop does a lot of healthcare work, so we want to see if you have at least thirty percent of your your customers in the healthcare sector. Um, and we want to we want to understand uh, your infrastructure. We want to understand your personnel, your culture, which is one that that I think not a lot of people talk a lot about. But you know, people say culture be strategy. You know, every day of the week is true. Like if you, you can, you have the best deal on paper, but if people can't get along, um, it's never going to happen. Right. Um, and then. Uh, and then the owner, you got to look at understand the owner. A lot of, I spend most of my time in this world now talking to owners, um, and do they really understand um, the emotional side of exiting your business? Mm. Right? There's a, there's a lot of work. A lot of times we get an owner to the last few stages of this process, and they pull back, they're scared, <laughs> right? Cold feet, right? It's like kind of getting get into your wedding day, right? You know, right. Hopefully, all your brothers are married. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but you get cold feet, and so. I'm able to leverage my experience because the good thing is I've been through it myself not too long ago. So I can just talk to them about what um, that experience is going to be like, things they should be looking at. But ultimately, I think it's important every owner's got to make the decision which is best for them and their family. So, um, and, and then, you know, it's, it's operational KPIs, it's legal review. I mean, we, 
we do a pre-diligence dive and then there's a, there's a, a deep due diligence dive, which takes, you know, you know, mostly 90 days to go through it. The, the, the best analogy I can give it is almost like being on an operating table cut wide open. Like ninety days, <laughs> right? And right. Just, and don't know if you're gonna actually get stitched back up. Or not. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a very, it's crazy. It's a, it's, a, it's a wild experience, you know. Um, right. Because for for like it's thirty some years, we had protected all of our information. Right. You sign the LOI, and all of a sudden you got like open it all up and let someone come and dig into all your dirty secrets and any skeleton you have from beginning to time. Um, all that's uncovered. Right. And so you gotta you gotta prepare yourself for that. How how do do you you look at like debt? Um, how important is a company's debt, um, their assets? Like, sure. what about those things? Like, how does that, does that play a big role in, in an acquire, in, in acquiring a company? Or is it kind of like, if you see that they have a strong financial model, that doesn't matter as much? Like, how much of a role does that play? Um, in our case, we're typically buying assets. Okay. So, so we're not as focused on the debt. The debt, the debt is ultimately the owner's responsibility. Okay. Um, and again, in the final mile segment, uh, it's, it's more asset light than, than traditional trucking. Sure, correct. Right? So you don't have as many assets on the balance sheet in terms of equipment. Yeah. Um, there's some cases we do. You know, we, we often do, we've, we, we buy companies some, sometimes that have, you know, a hybrid approach of employees who drive a company on lease equipment and you have, you know, a segment of, of drivers that are, are 1099 contract on operators. So it is something we look at, uh, we pay attention to. We may want to acquire some of the assets, possibly those vehicles as assets. Um, but it's not it's not as it's not as prominent of a KPI in our in our buying process. Gotcha. And we said valuation is what um, for a company. Um, the the way we value companies is really a multiple against their trailing twelve months of adjusted EBITDA. Okay. So so just break, explain that break break that down as best as you can for us yep. real quick. So um, you've got your your revenue, cost of goods sold at your expenses. And you have your, your 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 earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, or amortization, and so that number over the course of the previous twelve months, right? We, we cumulative, right? From the day we say, okay, we're going to buy the company, we look backwards from twelve months ago, and if that number is, you know, it's called a million dollars, right? Then we look at what were the so that's the EBITDA, the adjusted EBITDA comes from any one-time expenses. Uh, owners perks. Let's say you you have your your personal vehicles running through the company. Um, let's say you uh, recently had to invest in in you know, five trucks for a new business opportunity, a one time expense. Um, let's say you um, you know, your health your health your personal health insurance runs through the company. We we take all that information that 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 wouldn't necessarily be expensive we would have as we own the business, and we add it back to EBITDA okay. as a benefit to the owner. Okay. Uh, there could be negative addbacks too, um, potentially. Um, and that becomes the adjusted EBITDA number. So let's say for a million dollars, say you add another couple hundred thousand dollars, you got one point, you know, one point two million dollars, and then there's a multiple against that number. Typically in our world, that multiple is somewhere between three X and you know, I've seen you know seven, eight X. Okay. You know, it depend, depends on why is such a wide range. Um, size of company, um, customer segmentation. Um, Sometimes uh, there's some, some strategic fit from a geographical standpoint that we want to take advantage of. Um, and, but, but typically the larger companies, uh, if, you, if you have your own technology, um, uh, proprietary technology, that's an advantage for you. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's, that's where you see that range. You know, typically smaller companies on the lower side, larger companies on the higher side of that. Okay. Um, and some, some even have gone higher than that. Got you. Are is are you able to share how much you guys were acquired for? <laughs> no, it's I'm not. Sure it's not public. That. Okay, not public. Uh, I just, just <laughs> got asked. Yeah. They want to know. Yeah. All right, yeah. cool. So I'm, I'm still working though. So if you can say that, I'm still working. facts, I'm facts, still working. facts. True. Working. You're still yeah. with the my, company. My, my parents aren't. Yeah. Well, 
My mom's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, okay. My, my my dad's he's never gonna stay. He won't stop working till he's six feet under. Okay. Yeah. So can can you share if you were at that more of that three X or to eight X multiple range? Uh, we were on. We were higher than five X. Higher than five. Okay, good. So you were in the higher end on on the ladder. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Cool. So and back to your story. Uh, you guys exit. Um, how was that emotionally? You talk about the emotional toll it takes on the family. Yeah, yeah. Twenty something years, or at that point, with thirty something years, five years in business, point. extremely successful. All yeah. these different verticals you guys built. How was it emotionally on you guys, on you yourself, and what kind of toll did it take on the family? Yeah, it was it was tough, man. You know, I think the thing that you know, and this is just the regular emotion you have of of letting go of your baby, right? So, I think it was more emotional for my father because this was literally. You know, his third child, right? Between me and my brother, <laughs> and, this, and this, this was his first company. He, and this company was the company that, you know, was his calling card for him to go on and do other things with. So he's always had that that special spot in his heart. Um, so yeah, that coupled with the fact this is this is this is um, all this is happening in the height of the George Floyd uh, response, all mm. the marches, you know, all the uh, all you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, um, for the first time the country paying attention to. Um, Black businesses aren't supported the same way. We do more business with black businesses, invest in more black businesses. Um, and so because we were probably one of the prominent African-American owned businesses in the state, I would say, um, that, that, that it was a lot of, of pulling at the heartstrings on, is this the right time? Are we selling out? Right. What's going to happen to our staff? You know, right. Is this the right move for us? Um, and so that, that, was a, that was a much more emotional part that, that we had to go through that. Never, never put in the calculation. Mm. Ultimately, you know, many conversations with, you know, with my, my, my mom, my dad and our business partner. Um, I think we got comfortable with the fact that, hey, look, at the end of the day, um, business, while, while you have to count for it being a personal experience, it's business. Right. And so I think the objective of anybody that starts a business is to uh, create an asset, um, create the value of the asset. And if there's a marketplace out there to capitalize on what you created, um, I think it's important to your shareholders, your investors, et cetera, but also to your community, in our case, to show them that, you know, you don't have to necessarily be three, four, two, three, four generations of a family business to be successful. Um, you can do this in one or two. And if you can get the proper exit and, and, and take the opportunity you get from the exit to continue to invest in your community, or to branch off and do other things where you can still create jobs. I think that's that's the blueprint I've seen from other communities. Uh, but yet, and sometimes in our community, I feel like we um, we haven't necessarily been taught that way. We don't have the education. We don't have the experience to right. see that. You know. Right. And so I think so. Ultimately, it became more about hey, let's 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 make this opportunity take advantage of this opportunity to uh, show another way to, to to move forward, but while still. You know, being good stewards of the community and make sure we invest uh, into our community. Got you. When you, when you guys exited, were you all were you any VC money or were you all privately owned, just family? Or do you have any any uh, private family? Any owned. investors? Yeah. No, yeah. all pri- all family. Family owned. Dope. One hundred percent. All right. Cool. Um, let's talk about CLDA. Yeah. At what point do you you start rising through the ranks? At what point are you elected to the chair, which you currently hold now, president of the CLDA? And how does that happen? Yeah, so uh, I think I got on board like 2010, 2011, somewhere in that ballpark. And um, the way the board was kind of designed, it's a 15 member board. Um, the way it was designed at that time, like you basically become a board member, you kind of prove yourself on a committee level. And then um, 
there was it, it was a process of which you basically get selected to become a part of the executive, executive committee. And then from there, you kind of, you based on in a hierarchy, you kind of work your way up to becoming the president. Right. Um, so I think it probably was um, maybe maybe three, four years in, maybe five years in before I got selected to the exec committee. Now, mind you, my father was the first African-American board member of this association. Um, I'm the third African-American board member of mm. the association. Mm. It's probably... Uh, it's about a 20 year gap between my dad and me. Right. There's one other guy who I'm proud to say his son is actually just became a board member. Um, so we got the, we got the fourth African American board member on this, on this board now. Right. Two father son teams. Wow. It's pretty, pretty interesting, unique. Wow. Um, I'll say to say that, that, um, while I'm very proud to have become the first black president of, of the CLDA, um, I think that, that there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but I also will say that, um, everyone that I've come in contact with in that association uh, has really taken taken me in. They've challenged me. Um, they've pushed me. I haven't always got along with everybody. You know, it's, right. not, it's, not, it's not a popularity contest. Right. Um, uh, and I've learned to have to um, um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. You walk in that room and you got some some guys running three four hundred million dollar companies, CEOs. You know, you got you got big personalities. Yeah. Um, I'm a young kid. You know. And finding your voice amongst that, um, and navigating through different things that happen, you know, um, board politics. Yeah, you know, you, you gotta you gotta learn, you know, how to how to navigate that world, while at the same time adding value, right? Yeah. So so again, um, I never wanted it to be in the realm of possibility that I was given something, right? So I'm I'm a double down on hard work and effort, no doubt, and show it. So 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 anyway, so um, answer your question. I think. Um, I got on the exec, executive committee um, probably in 2014 or 15, and as, as a secretary, then treasurer, then um, second vice president, first vice president, and then ultimately this past February, I was elected as the, uh, as the president. Dope. For people who don't know, what is the CLDA, right? How, what does it take to become a member of yeah. the organization? How does it help other carriers right and in the last mile space and why should they why should people want to be a part of this organization yeah uh so cld is is is, again the acronym is is customized logistics and delivery association so um we rebranded it in 2009 to 10 for the same reason that we rebranded qcs right Uh, they had to get the courier thing out of it because the reality is our members are very diverse in what they offer to the marketplace um so to become a member easy cld.org Hit the membership tab, sign up. Yeah. Um, why would you do that? Why would you become a member of this association? So, um, you know, in short, there's a few things that we do, I think, better than anybody else in this space. One is our government affairs and advocacy. So uh, probably 10 plus years ago, we started a government affairs um, a committee and created an advocacy fund to primarily advocate for uh, the use of the independent contractor business model. Uh, a lot of your audience are independent contractor drivers, 1099s, owner operators. Um, you know, historically, there's been a lot of legislation that um, has uh, looked down upon that, and 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 you see you see it in California, it's probably the, the best uh, yeah, case AB5, right now, eighty yep. five, right? They they you know there's a move to make everyone a W two, and so we advocate on behalf of the proper way of using independent contractor model. And so we spend dollars in Capitol Hill. We go to D.C. Uh, we have a lobbying firm. 
Uh, we spend a lot of, lot of time, money, energy, effort to protect this model we all benefit from. Um, two, um, education. So the, the, the CIA was founded in 1987 by a group of probably 10 different curry owners who, uh, want to get together to share best practices. And so over the years, we've kind of kept those, uh, that, that is a part of our DNA. So education, um, from every aspect of business, operations, sales, marketing, finance, technology. We just had our conference in Miami, uh, uh, at the end of, uh, at the end of June. Um, we had about, you know, 450 some, uh, people in attendance, um, learning from each other, sharing best practices, um, learning about what's happening in the space from a macroeconomic standpoint and how this impacting your business. Um, and then we also have shippers that come, um, uh, people we have direct relationship with or want to create opportunities with to deliver on their behalf a warehouse or provide fulfillment services or cold chain services. Um, so they're present at the conference too. And we, we do webinars, we do, uh, white papers. We have a resource guide online. Um, uh, we have, you know, templates for legal contracts. Um, uh, we have a, a, a plethora of vendors that support the industry that you can get discounts with to buy tires, buy uniforms, buy a few, right. um, you know, legal services. Um, and then the last thing is, is the networking, right? The networking is something that, um, I think every business owner has to, um, has to understand that you, you can't just work in your business, you gotta work on your business. And I think the primary way of doing it is networking, right? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta know what's happening out there. You gotta talk to the people. Um, so we do that, you know, both in person with the conferences, we do a lot of that online. Um, we do a virtual shipper exchange every year. We, we like, we like to see people sharing ideas and, and best practices. And, and that's what I think people come back. It really attracts people to this industry and sharing business opportunities. Right? How, how many members now? Um, our membership base is probably, it's, it's, it's a, so a combination of true final mile carriers. I see it's about, uh, 500 or so of those. We've got thousands of drivers, you know, probably got 10,000 or so drivers that are members. Um, and we have probably, you know, a hundred or so vendors or people, you know, on the, on the, um, you know, the periphery of the industry, you know, selling services or products to, to the industry. Yeah. You, you, you got, you, you see, and you know, the organization sees so many different, uh, final mile businesses and, you know, you guys have opportunities to network with them and you see what success kind of looks like. What, what, what are some of the, the, the things that make a successful fi- final mile business? What are some of the things that the, the success stories that you see, what are they doing that, 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 that's a trending that's a theme. Right, that you see consistently that makes them successful, makes them great. Um, I think the first is all the leadership. You know, I think I think it all starts at the head. I think I think if the leader is involved, the leader uh, it should be one to set the vision for the organization um, to remove any any roadblocks that it has, um, whatever it may be, and to establish um, its strategy, its culture, its direction. Right and. And not do it one time, like every year revisit this. Mm. Um, when we lost the hospital system I referenced earlier. So in 20, we got, we won that account. We did for six years. I think we lost that. We won it in 2012 and lost it in 2018. That's a whole other podcast story. How we <laughs> um, but that, that represented 42% of our revenue at the time. Yeah. And I had no idea how we we're going to survive from that. And I got this book called Traction by a guy named Gino, Gino Wickman. And it became like my business Bible. It, it literally taught me like, um, like when to meet, how to meet, how to set your, your culture, how to set your strategy, how to set your three, five year plans, um, how to value your employees, how to score them, how to rank them, how to incentivize, how to motivate them. Like the whole thing is like, this is like dumbed it down. Right. 
And that book had been sitting on my, sitting on my shelf for like three, four years. I, I wanted a conference. And for some reason, I picked up at that time. It was the most pivotal time we needed it. And, you know, two years later, we were better off than we were before. We had grown and had diversified the customer base. But I bring it up. That was the first time in my you know, young career um, that I realized how important strategy, culture, planning is to the, the organization, right? Because you can't, I mean, you, you, you can achieve overnight success, right? There, there's some people that get lucky, right? Things can happen for you. You can win a cup of contract, you may have a relationship with somebody, and you, can, you may, get, may get a pop. But to sustain that, to your question, sustain it over, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you've got to have someone driving that. From a, from a top level. And I think leadership is there. Yeah. Um, to be more specific, once you get that in place, I think, um, well, I think starts from there. I think you have to figure out how to, you know, diversify yourself in the industry. Um, you have to decide, are you going to be a low cost provider? Are you going to be a service based, service based provider? Right. What do you want to be? Right. Um, there's always somebody willing to go lower than the next person. Is that the game you want to play? Or do you want to go sell your service? I think, um, you know, the types of verticals that you offer and understanding the different levels of profitability within the vertical and how those verticals may or may not complement each other on the back of a truck. Mm. So can you move tires and pharmaceuticals at the same time? Can you move, you know, um, um, food products and, um, and um, um, you know, um, uh, specialized uh, critical parts, you know, for, for the maritime industry? Right. Um, you you got to start understanding the, the, the metrics and, and the, the numbers, the data behind the stuff. So I think the companies that have a good sense of the data um, today, I think the data is just as important as the delivery. Because um, you got to be able to see it, what's happening now, but also what's coming down the road. And then I think, um, you know, the last thing I think you have to have the ability to um, connect to the why with your staff. Right. Why are we doing this? Why are we training this way? Why are we going after this customer? Why, um, why do we make this investment in this piece of technology? Uh, why is it important for the driver to make sure that when you're delivering a specimen, a blood sample, that that's not the same as delivering, you know, no disrespect to, to someone's, you know, um, Jay's coming in the mail, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's not, you know, this is a life or death, could be life or death you know, situation if you don't follow the proper procedures. Yeah. And so I think the company that can really do that well and, and, and get that from top level to, 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 to the, you know, kind of the, the lower um, tier of the hierarchy, um, I think those are companies I see that actually um, long term have a lot of success over time. I love that. That's a great breakdown. How, how important are like niches, like be, staying in a particular niche or a particular lane? Yeah, I think huge. That's huge, huge right? Yeah, c- because I think, you know, you can be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, it's hard to do in our world, right? You're talking about we're in a low margin industry, right? Most, most, most companies are operating somewhere around 5%. Um, the good ones are double digits. The ones we look to acquire are double digit, right? Right. But, but, but it's a low margin industry. So, not a lot of room for error, right? So you got to find a niche that you think that, going back to that, you know, philosophically, you want to be a low-cost provider or a service-based provider, right? A lot has to do with the industry you go in. Um, you know, certain industries don't value service like other ones do. So understanding that, understand how that impacts your, your, your financials is important on the front end. Um, so I think, you know, in our case, we, you know, when I was telling you, I was, my parents, I preached my parents gave me the leniency to throw things against the wall. I was trying everything. Right. Like, I didn't know. Right. And there's no blueprint. I, I didn't know even where they were to figure it out. Over time, I got smarter and started leveraging relationships I met in the industry, CLD, et cetera, to, to ask questions before trying something stupid. Um, as part of, you know, gain information, not how to leverage it. But, um, 
I tried a lot of the things and failed at it. Um, and I appreciate those failures because that's where I got my best learning from. Mm. Um, and so I think that um, companies that learn how to fail fast, um, uh, ultimately, that, that's, that's a good part of their, uh, their organizational makeup in the DNA. Like not afraid to try things. Right. You just don't know. Right. And, and just because it didn't work for, for this company over there doesn't mean it may not work for you. Facts. Um, so I think that's an important part of it. Um, Sarah Blakely, the lady who founded Spanx. Spanx. Yeah. Right. So I knew her brother. I've, I've, I've been to dinner with her brother a couple of times for Blakely. Um, and I got a, I got a, a, a book of entrepreneurs and she was featured in it. It's like short stories about entrepreneurs. And she told a story about how every day growing up when they would come home, her, her and, and, and Forza, she's older than Forza, a younger brother, their father, I believe was an entrepreneur, um, at the dinner table asked them, what did you fail at today? And I remember reading that. I was like, what? What'd you fail at? <laughs> and she goes on to explain, like, um, he was teaching them, like, failure, a couple of things. One, it's okay to fail. Two, but what did you learn from the failure? Right? Yeah. Like, did you, did you learn something? Can you reapply it? That what you learn tomorrow, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with failure. The problem is you fail and get stuck. You don't move forward. Like you said, fail forward earlier. Right. So I've always tried to keep that mindset of, um, you know, not being afraid to try some. And if we, if, if it doesn't work, let's figure it out and, and, and either iterate on that if we think something there or, or move on. Yeah, I love that. I had a question that I was going to ask you. It was a good question and it escaped me while you were just now talking, but I, I'm going to get back to it. Okay. All right. So, um, oh, that's what it was. You talked about data. You talked about um, doing the research, looking looking for the data. Yeah. A lot of times people don't know where to find that data. Yeah. Right. If you're getting into an industry, because I tell people all the time, you know, do your, do your homework, do your research, yeah. but I can't always tell them where to do it. Where, where do you suggest people find this kind of information, especially because you're in this space? Last mile, where, where do you find the data? Yeah. And how do you go about putting that data together to make a good educated decision? Yeah. So last mile is harder. I, I, it's, it's because I think last mile is something we're working on at the COD level is to bring more visibility you know, in terms of data to the final mile. Uh, but historically, last mile has kind of been the stepchild supply chain. Opinion, right? <laughs> right. We, just, we just really haven't been, you know, people really haven't thought about us up until really, I mean, when Amazon started doing the Amazon effect of everything. And then obviously with COVID, it just ripped the bandit off of what's happening and what was shippers need in terms of making sure their supply chains can move fast and product locally. And as they find them all plays right into that, that those, you know, shorter deliveries from a, a, a DC to, to your house in many cases. Um, but I will say the best, if, if, if I had to give people somebody's advice, um, Go find a person in your market who you think is the leader. You can go on Google, Google search best trucking company, whatever lane you're trying to get, best final mile company, and um, and reach out to them. Like literally, like LinkedIn. I mean, I, I use LinkedIn all the time. Go, 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 reach out to them. Go, right. go to the office. Like go, go off and, and bring a business card. And say, hey, I want to get ten minutes of your time. Most times, people don't do that, and people most times, my case, people willing to share information. Like people actually like to share. Their accomplishments, share what's worked, what hasn't worked. Right. Uh, I think you, you and, and you, you, you have built a business around yeah. people talking about <laughs> That's this, a fact. Right? Yeah. But most people literally can't get out their own way to do that. It, 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 and, and, and to me, I've always believed in like, I want to help anybody, but you got to help yourself first. Mm. And so if it, it, it would be hard for you to be a successful entrepreneur if you can't get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
So first thing I say is go find the leader in that space. Or maybe you can't find it in your town because they don't want to talk to you. Go, go next town over and find that person. Right. And like get information, real, you know, real world information like from the source. Right. Secondarily, um, you know, you can you can go online and Google search things. There there's some statistics out there. There's some some financial institutions that keep track uh, of data. Um, some stuff you got to pay for, get access to. Um, Freight Waves uh, is a great great resource. They yep. have a lot of information. Yeah. Um, um, on on their on their Sonar platform. Um, and then reading. You know, there's a lot of information. You get just you know reading articles online. Uh, there's a lot of information out the way. So, but I, but you know, you got to go do the work. It's not. It's not. It shouldn't be easy. Like if everybody do it, yeah, it shouldn't just be like right there. Yeah, uh, I think it's when the information age and it's certainly easier now than before. I always tell my dad like my challenge was to take a business that was you know roughly a million bucks and, and grow it. That's a lot different than taking something from nothing. And so I, I respect the fact that when you take something from nothing to something, no doubt, um, it's harder. Yeah. It's harder do, do. do you know what portion of the of the tr- of transportation that last mile? takes up in terms of like percentages and, and numbers like what, what's give us some statistics in terms of numbers of last mile now as, as it currently is yeah i think last mile the last that i saw was um 18 percent projected to get to like 30 low 30 percent projected next, to low next, 30s uh, five years wow um, so the, the growth rates have really fast track again COVID has kind of exacerbated that that uh that that shift right your grandma my grandma is Probably comfortable ordering off of Amazon right now. Facts, right? facts. Uh, they didn't do that, you know, pre 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 COVID. Um, so I think there's been a lot of growth coming into our space. Uh, it's probably why you know it's, it's it's such a hot topic. So popular. So popular. Yeah. Um, but I will say at the same time, like you know, you need to understand how that game works. It's like in, anything else in life, right? You do your homework in advance. Understand the risk. Um, uh, try to get as much information as you can. But a lot of times, um. You won't get a hundred percent information, right? Something like it takes your, your you gotta have your instincts, your gut. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And so you, you, you gotta take your shot too. Um, but, but I think the the final mile industry is is certainly, and that's 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 my challenge to present CDA now. Uh, and I think you know going forward is to continue to take our rightful place in the supply chain. Mm. Like we we, the days of us being the stepchild. Are over right right we we have value and so we work with our members now to understand how much value they bring to the industry um you know you you cannot be in the retail space right now and not have a final mile solution facts can't do it um and that's that's you're starting to see that happen in every aspect of of supply chain yeah um and so i think it's a great time to get in uh there's a lot of opportunities out there uh but you gotta yeah, but there, there's risk like everything else Final question. What are some really cool niches that you see out there that are like interesting that, you know, when you see me like, oh, that's interesting. You do that or like that people could that you see opportunity in that people could get into if they're looking to get into a a, a, a last mile business. Mm-hmm. Where's the opportunity at that you see? Um, I mean, the fastest growing, the easy one is, is you know, e-commerce. Right. So man, that's I mean, you can probably Google search that and see a zillion things happening. I mean, there's so much volume in that, in that world right now, whether you're doing two man white glove home deliveries. Um, whether you are delivering food, you know, um, whether you are, um, you know, delivering treadmills, you right. know, uh, appliances, things of that nature. I mean, it's, 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 you know, the, 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 the supply chain has, has changed now. Freight is no longer necessarily going through its traditional channels of going to a regional distribution center and going to your, you know, it's going to a, a lot of companies getting either drop ship or, 
truck right to the final mile operator in in New Orleans, and from there it's going out. Right. Um, so I think you know e-commerce, anything along that segment is 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 hot. But understand the cost there too. Right. Because uh, you can you can like in my experience, we we failed at that pretty 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 quickly. Um, I've always liked cold chain. Um, um, we we develop a niche niche uh, at QCS in cold chain, um, whether it's in the healthcare sector, whether it's in the food services sector. Um, it's more specialized. Um, you can charge you know you can charge more money uh, because it's a higher skill set you need, uh, uh, more specialized equipment that you need, um, so you can yield better margins in that space. And not a lot of people get into it. Um, a little more cost on the front end, you know, you know the, the vehicles, Reefer, the assets, trailers, and Reefer, all that. Yeah, yep. you gotta understand how that works. Um, but I've always liked cold chain as a niche. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, healthcare is one that, you know, that was the, the majority of what we did at, at QCS. It's the majority of what we do at drop off today. Um, you know, and, and I think with the geriatric population, um, uh, what's going to happen in the next, you know, five, 10 years, uh, with, with medicine being delivered more at the residence, in my opinion, I think that opened up a lot of doors for transportation related opportunities. Uh, and healthcare, yeah. uh, where your where patients will now be serviced um, at their homes, and so they need to receive, you know, everything, all the medications, supplies, um, prescriptions, um, you know, all 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 that stuff is now even 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 some nutritional things, the food. You start seeing hospital systems trying to becoming more proactive in in managing health outcomes, and so um, they're doing things on the front end of medicine now, where you open up opportunities to deliver those products to. You know, to a a, a, a a person at home. Yeah. Would you would you say the 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 more niche down, the more successful? Like, have you seen like the more the the deeper the niche, or people who kind of do like more everything? Like, or is it like you you see somebody who delivers like airplane parts, and that's all they deliver, and they're making like huge profits? Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Um, in the final mile world, I think you 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 see more of um uh. You see more diversity of of customers. Okay. Um, I think uh, now, I do think that some of the larger companies they have they have one or two verticals that they specialize in. That's like their bread and butter. Yeah. Um, and it kind of goes back to those complementary ver- figuring out what those complementary verticals are. Um, but I, I think you know, and then from my experience, you know, I, I talked before about QCS and what we did and trying a bunch of different things. Some worked, some didn't work. I personally believe it's better to be. Um, um, to be more uh, shallow, I'm sorry, uh, narrow, narrow and deep than wide and shallow. Right. Um, but I, I do think that if you can figure out um, you know, how to acquire customers in a certain vertical, uh, which means that you got your marketing sales down, like you can speak their language, speak their lingo, uh, and become a proven thought leader in that space with your marketing. Um, operationally, if you can really figure out how a certain vertical works, you can certainly become a leader in that space. Um, and I think that if other companies are, you know, looking 10 different ways, you know, of opportunity, you're specializing one or two, I do believe you have an advantage over them. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think you should have a couple of signature things, but, but you always got to be open to opportunities, right? I think you always got to be seeing what, what else is coming out there um, and how that may or may not be beneficial to your organization. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, we've been rocking for a minute, man. We, we're about to wrap up. We're probably going on like close to two hours, aren't we? Close. 
Cool. All right. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to wrap it up. But customarily on the show, before you go, we have to give a final thought, yep. which is basically, you know, your parting words for the audience. Um, you know, it could be spiritual, entrepreneurial, wherever you want to go with it. Just drop some jewels real fast. And then we have to let everybody know where they can connect with you personally Got and it. learn more about CLDA more, you know, more importantly and, and what you guys are doing there. Definitely. So let's start with the, uh, you can start with where to connect with you and then let's drop that final um, thought. So, um, you know, for CLDA perspective, go to CLDA.org. Um, you can find anything you want about the industry, the association. Um, we have our, uh, we do an executive uh, leadership summit coming up um, in October. It's going to be online. So it's going to be cost effective. So any owner operators out there that want to just get a taste of it. I think for like a hundred some bucks, you can get online for, for a day's session and yep. get a sense of what we do. Um, and our annual conference is going to be in New Orleans. Shameless plug back in the hometown. Uh, <laughs> in, in February. And then, no, baby, we back. That's um, it. That's it. So uh, in February of uh, 23. Um, and then you can you know find me online. I'm on LinkedIn. Jason Burns on LinkedIn. Catch me on, on LinkedIn. Or Jace, uh, I think my Instagram is... JG Burns scene like that. I don't know what it is. Something like Something that. Like we'll like that. we'll, we'll, we'll put it in a link that, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, parting advice. Um, it's funny. I was, I was having this conversation with my kids this morning. We we're, we're, were driving back. Yeah. Uh, I took them to to a water park this weekend, and my son. We were driving past an Amazon facility, and uh, so I started explaining to them like, you know, they know Amazon. How they see things trumped to the house. I'm like, yeah. So that's where the stuff comes in. Kind of explain what happens inside the warehouse, and it goes out on the truck, and it comes to the house, and blah blah blah. Yeah. And so. My son says, um, Daddy, are those jobs, the guys driving the trucks, are those big jobs? I said, what do you mean big jobs? He said, um, like, are they like important jobs? I said, well, I'm going to ask you. So, so when I go, I, so I ask you a question. I ask the students when I go speak to the kids, like in high school, you know, for like a, a career day or something like that. Um, it's two questions I normally ask them. The first one is, name one thing in this room. We can do this right now. Right. Name one thing in this room All right. that didn't come here through one of the four modes of transportation. Right. So we're talking about yeah. ground, mm-hmm. rail, uh, maritime, and air. Name yeah. one thing in this room. I'm thinking really hard. Oh, man. I, know, I normally put 20 bucks on the table to get the kids' attention to while they're doing this. So that's I'm, 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 I want this $20. Let me see what I could do. Man, um, it's going to be tough, man. I don't think we can. Right. I don't think so, we I lost mo- the $20. Mo- I'm sorry. Most most people you say like, you know me, or like air, right? I was gonna say air. Right. I was gonna so, say so air. air. Normally, that's, that's yeah, like but like, I thought but that was a little weak. So yeah, like, so, yeah. So but you can't touch it, right? <laughs> right, so, like, you can't. It's not tangible. tangible. Uh, not tangible. Yeah. Um, and so I was telling him that, um, like what we do in transportation, um, we keep the wheels of commerce moving, right? The the people that listen to your podcast, the 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 the, the dispatchers, the drivers. I mean, literally. This country, the world would stop spinning if we said we're taking a day off, you know, and so there's power to that. And so I think that um, I was, you know, my son's eight years old, so he can get the whole grasp of it. But, um, you know, you know, my whole career has been in transportation, you know, whether it be parking or or actually logistics delivery. And so those jobs are uh, crucial. And I think that um, the country should do a better job of thanking and appreciating appreciation and the economics should should show the value that we bring to to the to, to the world. So that's one. So so I, I guess as owner operators out there, like understand your value is one thing I would say, and right. what you do um, from a macro standpoint. Like get like allow yourself to get. I'm a football guy, so I always talk about you know, get off the field and get to the press box. Right, like go go up there and like look at the game from there. Yeah, and and understand the value you bring from that level. And then 
the second part of advice is something my dad always, always, you know, uh, instilled in me and my brother growing up. He said that there's, there's only three kind of people in this world. Um, there's people that, um, wonder what's happening. They wondering what the hell's going on in the world, right? But who's doing what? How's it being done? There's people that sit on the sidelines and watch things happen. Like literally see the game as a spectator. Right. Like see the game and, and watch what happened. And oh yeah, I would, I would have, should have, could have. I might get in there, but never quite get on the court yeah. or the field. And then it's a person that makes things happen. And so I think, you know, one thing I've always tried to pride myself on, I think, you know, every, you know, hustler, um, should pride themselves on is being somebody that makes things happen, right? You should be someone that people are wondering how you did it or watching you do it. And I try to tell my kids this even at eight years old, like when they come home and they, you know, somebody's saying something about them, I think, you know, if you don't have 15 people like talking about you, you're not doing something right. That's right. And so, um, so I'm, I'm encouraging them to like start thinking about these things early. And so I think even for us as, you know, business owners and, and what we do day in, day out, like always keep, I know it's, the grind is hard, um, making payrolls hard. Like I know all the the, the, the pitfalls of what you're doing, what we what we do, um, but never forget that you're making things happen. Yeah, and someone's watching you, someone's wondering. Last thing I'll say is at at, at this conference I was at, I had a uh, a lady who owns, uh, she's an African American lady who owns a curry business in Atlanta, and she saw me on the stage, you know, as as as, as the president of CLDA. She said, "I'm gonna bring my two sons to come see you, because I want them to see, you know." That that this is that this is possible. And mm. They can they can do this. Yeah. Um. And honestly, man, like, I I feel like it's a whole much to give and much expecting returns. So I don't feel like I'm doing things special. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um. And so I I hope that um I'm able to inspire or help the next person. You know, do better than than than, than what I've done today. But. Uh, I'm still earning the game. I got a lot, a lot more left to to do. No doubt. Well, we hope to have you on our stage at our conference, man, in in, in November, November fourth through the sixth at Freight Fest. So I, I throw that out there. You know that. what I'm saying? We kind of talked it. about that yeah, behind yeah, the yeah, scenes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I had to put make it public. So yeah, yeah. Put, now, put, now we gonna hold you to it. Hold you, hold you to the fire. Got it. Listen, bro. I just want to uh, congratulate you for all your success, uh, all your hard work, uh, and and it's just amazing. I love this whole concept that we talk about. Uh, generational wealth yep. you know your family has done it and it's beautiful to see that especially in our community sure. um, and, and and I love it man and just keep on pushing keep yep. on representing us in the CLDA um, it's so important to have people like you in those seats and, and keep you know keep that voice loud and proud man we we appreciate all your hard work and I I, I, uh, I implore everybody to check out the CLDA you know, see what they have to offer, especially if you're in the last mile space, because your network is your net worth. 100%. You're not going to get anywhere in this business unless you're connected with people, like-minded people doing the same thing that you're doing. So definitely connect with the CLDA. Yep. Jason, it was a pleasure learning learning more about pleasure. your story, man. And um, this was great, man. Listen, Hustle Fam, if you don't respect that, your whole perspective is whack. You know what we do around this time. If you smell something burning, it's only a desire. Myself... Jason Burns, Senior El Presidente, CLDA. <laughs> we are out. If you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and hustle. Let's go.